When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Stuart Broad, and this is the Analyst Inside Cricket Podcast. Hello and welcome to the last Analyst Inside Cricket of the year. And, well, it's been a weird year, hasn't it? I mean, who would have thought, Simon, that we'd be doing videos of, with players uh, in October, November and December? There was going to be so much cricket on, wasn't there, in, in that time of year? And England were going to be away and playing interesting series. And we didn't think that we'd have lots of players at home and lots of people at home as well, uh, stuck at home with no availability of club nets or clubhouses to go and enjoy themselves in and that's one of the reasons we created this virtual cricket club in aid of of course the professional cricketers trust and that there has been some comments Simon on um, social media this week that it's probably not the first time that I've been knocked into tier four. Yeah I think I saw that happen quite regularly when you were Playing yards, was it tier four or tier five? Or, or, <laughs> well, if they had grounds with tier. Well, if five, I played at the MCG, it would have been probably about tier eight. But uh, luckily, not too many grounds in my era had too many tiers. So we're both in tier four. So uh, it's going to be a, a quiet Christmas. But we have got some highlights of our virtual cricket club to play you over the next half an hour or so. Uh, some really good guests we've had uh, uh, over the last couple of months. And what about the, the season, though, overall, the summer, which looked as if it was never going to get started, but in the end, actually, produced some good cricket? It did. It did. That was some fascinating cricket to watch. It did feel a little bit, though, like the greatest summer followed by the worst summer. I mean, it was the worst summer in a way because no spectators were allowed into the ground. And you know, that is what the sport is all about, isn't it? Professional sport is all about. It's about that interaction between the players and the spectators and the, the joy, the agony, the, the tension, the despair, whatever, that you know, is transmitted by the crowd based on what's going out 
going on, on on the field and we didn't have that in the summer and it was really weird to, to be there and commentating and seeing you know players really put it in and they did put it in as well in you know the test matches that I saw you know it was cut and thrust it was some great cricket and some dramatic cricket and yet there was no one there to appreciate it after we had that incredible summer the year before you know the greatest summer followed by the worst summer I think I mean in a way it's fair because because you know we just lacked that that's, that's that spectator experience, really. Mm, yeah, and of course, it actually—I mean, the, the, I suppose to look at it on a, on a positive side, the amateur game, the club game, although it took some time to get going, might have just drawn in some more supporters, some more members, some more interest. I went down to to my local club, one of my local clubs, Teddington, uh, in Bushy Park, lovely spot, where even the deer were socially distancing, watching the game. There's a fantastic image. I'll post it actually on social media. Um, two deer, literally about two metres, three metres apart, watching a game going on. And there were three games going on all at the same time. And you just felt clubs really kind of tried to, to build up the interest and drew lots of people. And it was actually lovely sitting in Bushy Park, watching club cricket, high standard, some of the Middlesex players uh, playing in the Teddington team and in other Middlesex league sides. So there were obviously lots of negatives, and I'm sure lots of clubs will struggle, but there was this sort of surge of interest towards club cricket. And actually there were some lovely stories. We had some nice stories in the Cricketer magazine this month uh, uh, about things like clubs doing food banks for local communities. And also another in one was um, creating an after-match uh, meal because your tea interval being uh, sort of either banned or, you know, very much kind of mitigated. And to create a, an opportunity to have dinner at the end, a barbecue or something. And maybe that is a, a way forward for clubs. If, if tea intervals are going to be something which are going to be difficult to stage, you have a dinner or some kind of little event, even if an out, even an outside event at the end of the match. And that might draw in spectators and, and, and you know, other members of the club, as well as the players. I think perhaps one of the lessons from the year is, you know, you, how much you appreciate something when you don't have it and perhaps you know we all need to do that don't we we, we we've missed so much this year and cricket is one of those things i just sense that people were absolutely desperate to play again of course the weather i can you remember the weather in april and may it was just absolutely stunning the like the like of which I, I don't ever remember before having weather like that fantastic cricket weather and almost you know just being mocked by the weather every day that you couldn't actually you know players couldn't actually go out and play it was it was sort of perverse really of course then you know, when, it, when we did start playing, the first day of the first test at Southampton, it did rain for quite a lot. We didn't have much cricket. I mean, and then we had bad light and lots more rain. But I mean, the, the cricket was still, it was still fascinating. It was still, it still drew us in. And, the, you know, the fact it was played at all, the fact we got through it, it was, was incredible. And, and, you know, you mentioned club cricket. You know, the club cricket season did eventually start. And, you know, qu quite a bit of cricket was played in that chunk. And perhaps people just appreciated how much they missed it and were you know, really, really throwing themselves into it. But mm. yeah, let's hope all clubs, as many clubs as possible, can survive. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be tough next year. If, for example, in the professional game, if, if spectators don't get back into the ground in, in significant numbers, I know lots of tickets have been sold for all the international matches in the coming season. But if spectators are not able to come in big numbers, then phew, you know, mm. it does it does make you worry a little bit for the, the viability of some clubs in the game itself. And of course, for the professionals playing in these bio bubbles as well. Actually, Joe Root 
in our little highlight clips of, of the, the the autumn interviews that we did, Joe Root talks about the the difficulty of playing in a bio bubble and the weirdness of of no crowd. Hopefully that isn't going to happen. Still, England's tour of Sri Lanka is slightly uh, not in doubt, but there's lots of uh, stuff to to overcome before that happens. Actually, and uh, I guess there's some other quite interesting things happened in the year. Um, not least this sort of Black Lives Matter campaign, which really gained momentum and whatever you think about the black lives matter sort of initiative it drew more awareness of you know the 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 fact that we haven't really brought the black community into the game enough in the last few months or few years and uh, so therefore some campaigns have been initiated not only the ace one in in Surrey, but also one in the Midlands as well. And just drawing more awareness about the fact that we haven't really perhaps embraced that community enough. And we need we need their help, we need their enthusiasm. And I mean, I, you know, I grew up um, watching really, one of my first test matches was West Indies against England. And, you know, some of those players in that West Indies side in 1973, then were, were very big characters in the county game. And I'm sure it influenced me you know, wanting to play because they played with such exuberance and and flair and, and lack of inhibition and you know that that we want that back, don't we? But for them as much as for us, really. Yeah, it was it was the year you hope that the game woke up to its lack of inclusivity and you know the game has to be uh, for everyone and and everyone I think was made aware of that and you know it, it's something to really take forward. It's not something that just oh it's just part in in one year or one part of the summer is something to, to take forward and you know and hats off to you know Michael Holding and, and, and Ebony for what they did on on Sky and you know for Ebony's involvement in Ace at, at Surrey you know it's 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 a really important initiative and you know give as much publicity to that as possible and of course it needs it needs to happen not just in in Surrey but it needs to happen in, in other counties as well. Mm. So let, let's just pick our highlight and low light of the year. Um, what, what's your what's your highlight? just getting back onto the field. That first day at Southampton, okay, it was a surreal experience, but just players players in whites on, on, without the rain, walking onto the field, because it rained later, but you know, get back playing cricket after all those months without it, because I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a blank summer for everybody, club cricketers, county cricketers, international cricketers, and, and glory be, the West Indies came over, fantastic uh, you know, effort by them to come over, and we got playing cricket again. So I think that, that was my overall highlight, really, the fact we got the game going again. Mm, and and in you... that regard, I suppose my highlight would be a stellar performance within those exciting encounters, which was Chris Wokes and that Joss Butler partnership to win that test match against Pakistan, where they were really losing their way. And, and suddenly, they, they, so from nowhere, England resurrected that run chase. And it was just great to see Chris Wokes, who's so much an unsung hero in any other era without a Ben Stokes. He would be the, the, the best all-rounder in Britain. And also, probably, without the Anderson and Broad, he would be the best fast bowler we've had for 10 years as well, because his record, actually, at home, is even better than Anderson or Broad. So it was great to see uh, somebody, you know, Mr Nice Guy, the guy that just is always there, Mr Reliable, and getting his Man of the Match award um, for that performance really sort of crystallised his contribution to England over over the years. What about your low light of the of the summer? I'm what? going to tell you my low light. I mean, my low light, it, it, it is, you know, 
players still going off a bad light. And that, that's a sort of old chestnut, isn't it, that we, we come back to every year. And they're still, even in these biosecure things where it was so desperate for everyone to get on and get the play going, still we go off a bad light. I mean, just it's indescribably irritating. And, you know, the game is sort of making one step forward and two back all the time with that kind of thing. But, you know, ultimately my low light is behind you because you have got a copy of my new book, A New Innings, on your shelf, and it hasn't moved from that spot. It's clearly unopened. No, 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 that's not true. I've read it, I've read it from... Um, you from liar. You must, have read the, you must have read the, uh, the draft version then, not the real version. It doesn't look, it doesn't look as if it's been opened. No, I, I, have, I have read this from, from start to finish, Josh, and I would urge everybody, everybody <laughs> who wants to have a very good sleep on Christmas afternoon to open this book. And then let's hope that lots of... No, it's, no, it, it's a really thought-provoking book, actually. And I, <laughs> I promise you, I promise you, I have read... You didn't pay me anything to say that. I promise you, I, I have read every single word of it. What have you... And you've just taken it down, and you've got another one behind you, actually, which is quite good. What's the one below it on your bookshelf? Well, this is quite. This is Big quite. Mark's exactly. original spin, yeah, yeah. and well, we should that, mention that. Opposite today, uh, Victor announcing uh, officially. I mean, I knew it was happening, but Victor announcing officially today that he is leaving uh, the Guardian Stroke Observer after 31 years as their well correspondent. I mean, Mike Selby was a correspondent of the Guardian, and Victor took over, but he was the, Victor was the Observer cricket correspondent for for many years, and he is leaving after 31 years. Um, and he had a, a shot across the, the bows of, he managed to combine um, Brexit and the 100 today, saying, you know, both of them are crap and everybody knows that we shouldn't be doing it. But no one's got the balls not to do it, which is oh, that's quite strident for Victor, actually. He was, you know, he, well, it's his last one. He sort of fired both his cannons into the side of the ship, really. Um, so that, there we go. And also admitting that he'd always struggled for an intro. But he won't have to struggle anymore because well, like, I know what he means actually, because he he wrote today about how you know he's staring at a blank screen and he can't get going, and I mean I've done that so many times as well. Writer's block, you know, sort of constipation, you just can't get your your article started at all. So go back to John Woodcock, the, the great Times cricket correspondent, whose advice with to anyone with writer's block is just tell the story. And I mean, it sounds sort of fairly facile to say that, but actually it's, it's a good piece of advice. And the other piece of advice I'm going to give you, any writer, is don't get it right, get it written. How about that? Do you like that? Well, well also, I mean, there's, there are lots of, sort of sayings about writing. Right? Another one is no piece is ever as good as you think it is or as bad as you think it no, is. That's very true. Yeah. I know some people think, oh, no, that piece is terrible and, you know, goes in the paper or online or whatever these days and people read it. and. You know, then they move on to something else and no one thinks this is absolutely disgraceful shocking okay there's lots of typos in it and the words in the wrong place than they might do but people read it and then they move on don't they and occasionally they think oh that was really good today but no one ever no one ever sort of just we do as journalists reading other people's copy you know, sometimes but probably possibly i don't know uh, general readers they they read and and, and move on and have you got a, a a book that you've that you've asked santa for for christmas um no i i don't you know does santa exist i'm not sure santa exists i, I sort of gave up asking santa for things i haven't uh, my um yeah my, my children are sort of gradually moving on from that as well so um mm, okay 
Uh, we, we've got a nice um, caricature cartoon on the on the front page of the cricketer, the Christmas issue actually, of, of Santa getting caught up in spider cam with the reindeer sort of almost garroted by the spider cam as he's flying into wherever, you know, the Aegeus Bowl or somewhere to, to drop off his presence. And spider cam's causing the, the, his passage a little bit of a problem. So uh, that's a, a little segue, I suppose, into saying uh, to everybody who's supported us both on our podcast and on our virtual live stream, the World's Best Cricket Club. You can still join that, by the way, worldsbestcricketclub.com. Uh, we are going to be doing a lot, lot more live stream uh, interviews after Christmas, after the new year. Andrew Strauss is definitely uh, inked in as one of our first guests. Ian Botham has promised to appear. Uh, there will be others. Uh, Marcus Truscothic, I'm going to get on in the first month of January as well. So we've got lots of guests coming up. But just a big thank you to everyone who's supported that club on behalf of the Professional Cricketers Trust. And Simon, thank you for your contributions as well. It's been really fascinating, actually, so to, to get everyone sort of in a relaxed mode. You know, sometimes as it, when it's if you're doing an interview with a, a player, they've just you know they've just done whatever on a day's play. You know, it's a quick grab, three minutes or whatever, and you you know a, there's a lot of not not cliche. That's not the right word. I think the players actually try quite hard, but there's not necessarily as much insight as you would hope for. But you get a chance to get a player relax, sit down, think about the game, talk about it. I thought I mean, Josh Butler, for example, we did in last Thursday, and we'll, he'll be on a future highlights program, just, you know, just talking about playing the ramp shot mm. and how he practiced it and how he developed it and the technical side of it. It was just really interesting to listen to him talking about it. Next time you watch him play, you'll, you'll really better really appreciate how he goes about playing that shot and the mindset before he plays that shot. That was just a little insight into, you know, but there were lots of others as well. There are many other insights. Uh, and it was, it was great to get players, you know, their enthusiasm as well for joining in. It was great to have them with us and answering. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've always wanted to get players sort of at home, really. And, you know, showing us their environment where they relax. And you, you don't often get behind the scenes of players, really, do you? You get lots of interviews of them, you know, behind a, in front of a sponsored board or something or on the pitch at the end of play. But they're not very relaxed then. So you're right you know, to try and get them at home, which is in a way it's, that's one of the, the sort of bonuses of COVID. People are being stuck at home. So we have actually got a little bit closer to, to their lives. And so we, you, we've got coming up, we've got a little extract from Root, from Wood, from Broad and from Tuffers as well, just uh, looking back at their life and their career and sort of momentous events within that. And our highlights reel starts with Joe Root talking about the weird experience of playing behind closed doors. What's the hardest thing about that? Well, my first experience of it was I walked out to bat for the first time this summer and I walked out on a hat-trick ball and it was just deadly silent. And I didn't really know how to sort of react to that. It was almost worse. Um, having been in that situation before um, because you, normally you've got something to to really get you going and, and feel like it gets you in the game a bit of an atmosphere to feed off and um, especially a home crowd you always you always look forward to playing uh, test summers in England because of that lively bubbly atmosphere you get within the grounds and that wasn't there um, so it did take a little bit of an adjustment in that respect and I think you've probably noticed it the most when the game started to it, when you're in the field and the games felt like they were starting to meander along a little bit or there was a quite substantial partnership building um, where the crowd can actually have quite an impact on the group and can give you a real lift or um, really create something um, that you might not necessarily to be, be able to create on the field. So 
it was, I suppose, managing those pockets of play and those times within games as best we could as players, knowing that it was going to be tough um, and trying to find other ways of, of making sure we were always on it throughout any, any session or any difficult passage of play. Next, we've got Stuart Broad, who, of course, went past 500 test wickets this year, talking about his fitness regime and the masochistic joy of fast bowling. Since I've got to 30, I actually try and bowl a bit more. Mm. And I feel my body copes with it better. I feel like yeah. you need miles in the legs. I mean, the England trainers, they don't like us running on roads too much. But actually, I try and I try and run on roads once a week really because i think you need that impact on the on the bones on the body i think you need bowling is quite a a, a tough unique weird thing to do you 10 times your body weight goes through your muscles or your, or your 10 God. i mean some people say six but that's horrendous. Yeah, 10 mm. so you you if you don't put any impact through the body mm. and then go and bowl yeah and your body sort of screams at you you know we've all done a pre-season game or played a mm. game of football and we haven't done for a long time the next day you feel awful don't you yeah um so i i try and just keep it quite regular now even in lockdown mm. I, I i bought a net off uh, amazon and just bowled into the net not a big cricket net just a little golf net but um right i i, I bowled into that just to keep the body moving yeah because actually it, it everything hurts doesn't it after days bowling i mean it, it different things hurt different days i used to find sometimes that I'd be really aching on some leg or, you know, some knee or something. And I'd get there the following day and feeling really stiff and think, how am I going to get on the part? But as soon as I started bowling, I forgot about that and something else half started hurting. So it's sort of, yeah, I don't know, there's a sort of, of it, psychosomatic, isn't it? Isn't it? There's, a, there's a love for that. There's a, there's a great satisfaction walking off after a test match or a four-day win where your toes are a bit bloody, you're aching, you're, you're <laughs> tired to... Tied to a degree, tied, like to right the nth degree where you're knackered, but you've you've got to win. There's a there's a great sort of satisfaction and almost addiction to that 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 I love. The week after, we had Mark Wood in the virtual cricket club reminiscing about the World Cup final and that last ball. Did you know the situation then? Did you know that if they only got one run, you'd win on a boundary count? Did everybody know that on the bench? No, I honestly didn't. We didn't even know the rules coming in the dressing room after I mean Stokes had been batting. It was literally the no one knew what was going on, um, who was batting, what what could happen. It was just because he had been up down all game, win lose, win lose, win lose. The emotions of the day just sort of take over, and you, there's no sort of calm rationale. Even Moggy, who was the most calmest bloke, level bloke in the world, he never gets too high, too low. He was level, but he was you could see like he was trying to get things in order because everybody else was all over height. So it was hard uh, it was hard to imagine what the dressing room was like. I've never seen the dressing room like that ever where Jace couldn't find his box, so he was using my box. Someone else couldn't find their pads. Joss was going to bat. Stokes was in the toilets at the back just having two minutes to himself. So everyone's like, where's Stokesy? No one knows where he is before he's about to go out. Um, mm. It was just carnage. There was fruit everywhere because Jace had lobbed it when the ball had hit Stokesy's bat. Either we have like nuts and fruit and little bits of food on the table <laughs> to pick at during the game. And when Stokesy, the ball hit his back, Jason jumped off the middle sort of island that's in the Lord's dressing room and he'd thrown all the fruit everywhere. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm obviously gutted that I've getting run out. And as I'm walking back in, I'm standing on like cashews and dried mango and stuff like that. Jason's hide <laughs> everything everywhere. Phil Tufnell was our guest in November and he explained how he first got in to spin bowling. Do you remember Jack Robertson? 
Of course. Jack Robertson. Yes, Middlesex, you know, and I can remember going down there as a very, very young child, uh, under 11s or something like that. And uh, we went down to the indoor nets and Jack, he used to have the cravat on and everything, didn't he? I think he was a batsman, wasn't he? So he was a fine he, batsman, uh, opening uh, batsman for Middlesex in England, yeah. Yes, that's right. And a lovely fella and what have you. And he had his flannels on and everything, looked immaculate. And I was down there tearing in, you know, trying to bowl fast and what have you, left-handed. And uh, he pulled me to one side and he said, well, he said, listen, Phil, he said, you've got a very good action, you know what I mean? But he sort of said, there's lots of fast bowlers out there, um, you know, and you're sort of medium pace a bit, you know what I mean? He said, but what there isn't, isn't there, there aren't a lot of left arm spinners. So he said, what? And then, and then he, he gave me five minutes of his time and he sort of like put the ball in my hand and so, you know, showed me how to spin it, you know, turn the doorknob and what have you like that. And so then I sort of cut my run up down a little bit uh, and then ran up and just bowled like a cutter stroke left arm spinner at 11. It pitched, turned and sort of the, the, the little kid down the other end went to play the shot and missed it. And, and, and it sort of registered very, very quickly with me that this was quite good. Talking of formative experiences, here's Stuart Broad reflecting on his first test appearance all those years ago. How did you feel about your future then? Can you remember? Can you remember thinking, how many test wickets am I going to get? Uh, I never thought about test wickets, um, but I, I do remember being really clear that I didn't just want to play for England. I never really had a goal of just playing for England. I wanted to be successful for England I wanted to play and win test matches for England um, so I remember being told I was playing the day before the game um, and Ian Botham sorry Ian Botham came into the change room and presented with me with my cap and obviously that felt very special I was like wow like, how good is this I'm gonna play but I never remember thinking I never remember feeling oh I've made it then mm. I was like right what's my next challenge what do I need to do where do I need to go? Um, and I played in Sri Lanka. And actually, it was a really good place to 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 make my debut because, you know, on Hawkeye, which is our tracking system, which judges how pitches move, and it's the flattest pitch in the world. Mm. It does the least. So if you're ever going to walk into t test cricket and think, oh, this is hard, it's there. And I left that, got home for Christmas, and I remember thinking – you know, this is a next, this is a next step up. There's no doubt about that. I've got to have variations. I've got to be, you can't have spells that you just take it easy. You've got to charge in all the time. And actually I went to New Zealand the, after Christmas, sort of January, February, really, really like switched on and motivated to, to how I wanted to go about it. And I, Jimmy and I actually came into the test side for Harmy and Hoggy at um, Wellington. And both of us did quite nicely. And I just remember feeling like the intensity that I would bowl every ball at just went through the roof. Um, and it was a good realisation. Yeah, I'm not saying it would have been different if I played at Trent Bridge and got five for 20, but it might have been easier to go, oh, I've made it, if that makes sense. Mm. But actually, one, one for 90 off 30-odd at Columbo was like, Wow. Okay. I remember Jai Wardner walking out to bat mm. and his highest scores came up on the big screen and it was like 290, 270, 250, 250 all at this ground, Colombo, Colombo. And I thought, oh no, this is going to be a tough, uh, a tough few days. But um, no, I, I mean, I, I, I really loved the experience and I loved the, 
the the togetherness of it and um I remember I I got home that uh, that Christmas and put my England cap on top of the Christmas tree. That was my star. Winning the Ashes is, of course, every English cricketer's dream. And Mark Wood actually took the decisive wicket in the 2015 series. In terms of taking that the wicket to win the Ashes, everybody wants to do that. Um, it's sort of strange now because I feel like, yes, it's a big deal, but I'm, I'm more pleased that it's more relief, to be honest, that, you know, I, I got that wicket then. I'm immensely proud of it, but um, relief that um, we, we'd actually get over the line and won the Ashes at that point. Um, in the morning, it was great from Alistair Cook. I hadn't bowled that well that game. Um, I was a bit new to international cricket. I was a bit inconsistent. And he threw me and Stokesy the ball in the morning when he could easily went abroad and Finn. Um, and he backed me and Stokesy, two of the younger, more inexperienced lads. And I bowled at Adam Burgess all morning. Um, and I was begging Stokesy to just, will he just bowl one on the hip so I can bowl at the tail end? And I went for like four or five overs where I kept bowling at Burgess, the guy that was in. And um, eventually got Hazelwood on strike. And that's that's when it happened. But the, the ball before the Nathan Lyon one, I'd bowled out swing all morning, hadn't tried any in-swingers. And then I tried a massive in-swing and I went down the leg side for four buys and Brody screamed at me, what are you doing? Just keep it simple. Next ball, I got the wicket. So uh, listen, to, listen to Stuart Broad, eh? So as England prepare for their next expedition, Captain Joe Root explains how he draws ideas and inspiration from other celebrated batsmen. I suppose just relating to sort of other players in the world, I mean, you're often grouped, quite understandably, with three other batsmen, Kane Williamson, Virat Kohli and... Um, Steve Smith as the sort of four, you know, powerful musketeer batsmen in the in the world in all formats. Do you look at how they're going? Do you sort of measure yourself against them ever? Um, I, I try not to measure myself against other players. One thing I do do is watch a lot of them play. Uh, watch a lot of how they go about constructing different types of innings across the three formats. Um, you're looking at three of the greatest players the game's seen, and I think when they, when all three of those guys finish up, they'll look back, or we'll look back at, at this generation or this period of of Test match cricket and see three of three of the great players of our time. Um, I'm not sure I would put myself in their bracket to be honest, but w- what I would say is uh, I watch Kane bat and I look at how he plays, how late he plays the ball, how um, how still he is and correct he is, and how how under pressure he really does find a way to, to trust his defence on any given surface. And I think that's a great quality to have, as well as the skill to be able to do it and to play the ball as late as he does. To mentally be able to um, not concede uh, confidence to, to the bowler and, and be able to trust um, you know, all, all of his technique and, uh, and his ability is, uh, is something to be admired. You look at Steve Smith and he's just, I mean, I mean at times he's awful to watch. He's horrible on the eye, but God, you, you pay for him to, to have him in your team. He's a fantastic run scorer. I think he's, the way he thinks about the game and the way he manages passages of play is exceptional. Um, mm. How he, he makes bowlers bowl where he wants them to. And again, his self-confidence, you, you can see by some of his idiosyncrasies and the way he you know, leaves the ball or he's, he's fi- trying to find ways to to always get on top of opposition and on the bowlers. And I think in... Uh, in the next, I suppose, next couple of years, sides will start doing a lot, a lot more different things to him, and and trying different fields and 
I suppose, trying to make him, again, think differently about how he's going to score his runs. Meanwhile, Stuart Broad considers the future of fast bowling. What advice would you give to a young bowler in terms of staying fit and being successful? And do you think fast bowlers can get faster? I think people, I think bowlers will get faster, yeah. Um, especially with T20 cricket, when you've got to do it for four overs, uh, you can really sort of ramp it up for that period of time. Um, and you just look through the ages of all sports. Everyone's got quicker, fitter, technology's got better, and it seems to keep improving. Um, so I think I think it will. And for, I think for fast bowlers, in my opinion, it's about finding what works for you as quickly as you possibly can. I reckon I was 24 when I fa started finding out what training worked for me. Um, so I've not done a heavy squat, weightlifting squat since I was 24, because I used to get sort of hip issues and... I thought, right, I'm going to stop doing that. And my injury record, touch wood, since then has been pretty good. So I think find exactly what works for you in a training way. I'm a bit old school. I still like to run. I like to get out and run and and um, and get some miles in the legs that way. I'm not a big gym bunny and just lifting weights. But um, I think everyone's different. Everyone's specific. And as, as early as you can into your 20s, find out exactly what works for you and stick to it. And always adapt and always adjust, but but don't just feel like you've got to do something because a coach tells you it's your career. Going back to the World Cup final, Mark Wood denies that he would like to have been the man to hit the winning runs. If you came in for that last ball of the World Cup final, would you have liked to have been the man on strike? Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. I've, I've never felt as sick in my whole life as that day. Uh, People have asked me about it. I hated the World Cup final until the last minute. I hated the whole thing. The match wasn't very good. Um, it was really tense and back and forth, win-lose, win-lose. And I've never, ever felt as sick. I've, I said it on an interview a couple of times, but they've got like this really posh marble basin in Lords. And I thought two or three times, I can't be sick in there. I'm going to be sick in there. No, don't be sick in there. And I <laughs> literally was pulling people out the way to think, I might actually chunder in this basin here. Um, I, I just... If Stokes had getting out, I was thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do. Where am I going to hit the ball? I, I'm more of a, like a, a guide at the third man for one than slapping it over, you know, cow corner. So, um, yeah, I, I was not good that day. And finally, here's a cheeky question for the man they call the cat. How many fines did Tuffers get on England tours? Ooh, quite a lot. I think I've been, I was fined. I've been on, I think, nine or ten England tours and I was definitely fined on average twice a tour. Without a shadow of a doubt. For what? Uh, but then again, you know... Sorry? What, what, for what sort of misdemeanours? Well, lateness start, or...? Well, you see, well, for, well, no, we see lateness. You see, every day on tour... I've been on nine or ten tours, I can't remember. But so every day on tour, you had to get the bus every morning, didn't you? Whether it was to go to training or go to the game, or go here, or go there. Now, out of nine tours, and, and all of those days, you know, when we used to go on tour for three months and everything, I only missed the bus five times. Now, I think that that's quite a good ratio, really. Don't you? <laughs> I did. Out of all of those days, there must have been, cracky. there must have been, you know, a thousand days which I had to get up every morning and get on the bloody bus at eight o'clock and go to warm up and go to Nets or go to the game or what have you. And out of all those days, only five days missed, so I think I'm happy with that. 
uh, on my first tour to Australia, everyone in the side got fined. It was an amazing statistic. Every one of the squad was fined. And it's not fined for, you know, you know, it's just, you know, late this, wearing the wrong shirt, you know, doing this or a bit of Saying fun, something really, stupid. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. So that's that kind of stuff. But even Stewie got fined. Oh, did he? For, what for? Um, yeah, no, Stewie got fined. Yes, I know. He was the last one to fall. <laughs> he was the last one to fall to make it the whole squad. <laughs> we were willing it somehow for Stewie to do something wrong. And I was bowling against Carl Rackerman and uh, at Sydney. And um, it was before DRS and everything like that. And we needed him just to get out. And then we, we, we were going to try and knock off the runs and what have you. And uh, Carl Rackerman, I had him out about LBW about bloody eight times anyway. And, um, and then he's pushed forward, got a little glove straight to Stewie at, square, at short leg, to which he's gone. Uh, we've gone, how's that? And it was Tony Crafter was the, uh, was the umpire. And he's looked at me and smiled and gone, not out. And Stewie just went, I'll sod this, threw the ball down and went, this is bloody ridiculous. You know, he, he was clearly being biased and cheating, I'm afraid to say. He was. And um, and then he said, right, Stuart, I'll talk to you later. And we've all almost actually sort of cheered because we knew we've got the full house. <laughs> Even Stewie's got So it was, worth, it was worth not winning the test match to get Stewie fine, basically. <laughs> almost. 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 So I hope you've enjoyed those extracts from the Virtual Cricket Club and you can join the club, worldsbestcricketclub.com for lots more live streams and podcasts and blogs over the coming months. And it just remains for Simon and I to say a very Merry Christmas to all of you. It's going to be a weird experience, of course, but hopefully you can enjoy it. Thanks again for listening to this podcast and we hope you have a happy and, of course, healthy Christmas. Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.